Thank you, Bill, for organizing that. You know, singing with these New Yorkers, man, we got to pray for New York. And from Louisiana on all up to New York. So let's pray. You know, Hurricane Ida hit them, as you all know. Let's pray. And we'll pray over the Lord, too. Lord, thank you that you are a shield for us. You are our glory and the lifter of our heads. And Lord, we're so grateful, and we sit here in this safe place. But Lord, we pray for those that are not in a safe place, those that have lost many, they've lost much. We pray for them all the way from Louisiana up to New York. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Be a shield for them. Be a shield around them. Protect them on every side. Be their glory. Be their salvation. Lift up their head in the midst of the despair and the hopelessness and the loss. Jesus, I pray many today, even today, will call on your name, on the name of Jesus, and be saved. Your word says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I pray, Lord, you'd put it in the hearts of the most hard-hearted people that today they would turn toward you and call on you. Lord, we, we are grateful to belong to the American family, and we want to be faithful to pray for our American family. So we pray for them. We bless them. We pray for your comfort, your strength, your healing, your provision in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, as you know, we're looking at Psalm 3 and 4 today. Both of these psalms are instrumental songs. David was really the main guy that started writing psalms and putting them to music, and he created a whole lot of the instruments that are written about in the Old Covenant. And so, Amis Mor, which is what both of these are called in Hebrew, Amis Mor, is a psalm that is sung with an instrument. You never just sing without an instrument on these particular songs. Unless you're Church of Christ. God bless the Church of Christ. So, um, so David wrote Psalm 3 when he was fleeing from Absalom. You see that in the small print right under Psalm 3, if you have a Bible that says that. And we're going to read about him fleeing. If you'll turn with me to 2 Samuel 15, we want to see what he was going through when he wrote this psalm. 2 Samuel 15, we'll come back, of course, to Psalm 3. Lord, we thank you for the power of your word, and we say humbly before you, would you engraft it into our hearts, and would you change our lives, because we've sat under the ministry of your word today, both in here and in the gathering. Spies throughout all. Okay, 2 Samuel 15, 10, then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the shofar, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. With Absalom went 200 men from Jerusalem who were invited, and they went along innocently and did not know anything. Then Absalom sent for Ahithophel the Gilonite, David's counselor from his city, namely from Gilo, where he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy grew strong, for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. We'll see that increased in Psalm 3. And a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. So David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or else we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster against us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. 
And the king's servant said to the king, We are your servants, ready to do whatever my lord the king commands. And then the king went out from all his household with his household after him. But the king left ten women, concubines, to keep the house. And the king went out with all the people after him and stopped at the outskirts. Okay, turn, to, uh, turn the page to verse 30. So David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went up. And he had his head covered and went barefoot. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and went up, weeping as they went up. Okay, let's go back to Psalm 3. So rebellion grew against King David, led by his son Absalom. Absalom had been stealing the hearts of the Israelis. And he went to Hebron and pronounced himself king. That's where David also first pronounced himself king. Then Absalom returned to Jerusalem to steal the throne from his father. And many Israelis went with him. 200 went innocently initially, and then many others increased with Absalom, including David's counselor. So let's read verses 1 and 2. Psalm 3, 1 and 2. David says, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. Selah. So he says, they've increased who trouble me. They rise up against me. And many say that you will not help me. And the word for help is the word Yeshua. It means salvation. That was Jesus' Hebrew name, Yeshua. There is no Yeshua for him in God. There is no help. And in verse 3 and 4, David says, But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. Selah. David declares that God is a shield around him. It's not just a shield for him. In Hebrew, it's the word around him. And that's a three-quarter shield that goes all the way around, except it, the back is still exposed. So he's saying, you are a shield around me. You are the one who lifts up my head when it's bowed down in humiliation, which it was as he fled from Absalom. David knew God heard him as he cried out, and he declared God to be his glory. His, his position as king was not his glory. His wives and his children were not his glory. His accomplish, accomplishments were not his glory. He said, God was his glory. You are my glory, and that's where we need to be. Whatever trial we go through, whatever humiliation, whatever loss we experience, we too can say, Lord, you are a shield around me. You are my glory. You're the one who lifts up my head when it's bowed down in sadness or grief or shame. And then in verse 5, he says, I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustained me. Because David was securing God in the, in the midst of this coup, he could lie down and sleep without anxiety. And he could awake because he knew the Lord sustained him as he slept. Have you ever heard people pray? Now, we heard this often in South Africa. This is a common thing people say in the morning. And maybe you've, you've heard this too. They, they wake up and they say, God, thank you for waking me up this morning. Sometimes I ask people how they are and they say, well, I'm here. I woke up this morning. So that's what David was saying. I woke up because the Lord sustained me. My life is in his hands. That's why I didn't die in my sleep. That's why they didn't kill me in my sleep. I woke up because the Lord sustained me. And we too can say that. Our lives are in his hands. 
Verses 6 and 7, he says, I will not be afraid. He's choosing. He's determining. Friends, we've got to do that too. I will not be afraid. No matter what's happening around me, I will not fear. God has not given me a spirit of fear. So he says, I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people who have set themselves against me all around. By this time, the number had grown to 10,000s of people against David. But he determined not to fear. And then he says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. So David knew his help could only come from God. He says, I won't fear, although I'm surrounded by 10,000s of people. But then he, he immediately cries out to God because he's not fearing, but he knows his help is only in God. Arise, Lord, save me, Yeshua me, save me, O my God. And then in advance, he says, you've, you've struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. That's a phrase in Hebrew that means you've rendered them powerless. My enemies against me are powerless. So, Lord, arise and save me. So, David knew his help could only come from God. He knew that when he faced Goliath. He knew that when he protected the sheep by killing the bear and the lion. He knew it when running from King Saul and hiding from King Saul. He knew his help was only in God. And he knew only God could save him in the situation with Absalom and his rebellious followers. And yet, in victory, he declares in that verse, You have struck my enemies. You know, we walk in a place of victory already because Jesus has risen from the dead. He sits on the throne on high and he reigns in victory. And we are in Christ. So that's a place of victory we can also declare. Verse 8, he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people, Selah. So after pleading with God for help, he again states his faith. Salvation belongs to the Lord and his blessing is upon his people. In the midst of everything that's surrounding me, his blessing is upon his people. And again, the Hebrew word translated salvation here is Yeshua. Just like it's translated help in verse 2. Yeshua is translated in the Bible as salvation 61 times, as deliverance 6 times, and as help, security, and victory one time each. If you're ever in trouble, just call on the name of Yeshua. Say, Yeshua, Yeshua, help me. Arise, O Lord, help me, O my God. Yeshua, call on your name. So when our circumstances change from comfort and prosperity to running for our lives, as we may have to do sometime, and as David experienced, we need to know what David knew, that God is our helper. God is our shield. God is our salvation. He gives us peace in the midst of the battle, and we can even sleep and wake up because he sustains us. We choose not to fear, even though we're surrounded by betrayers and enemies. I'm just saying that's what his condition was, and that may be ours in the future. His hope is in the Lord, not in man. So like David, we cry out to him for salvation and for blessing. Isaiah 12 verse 2 says, Behold, God is my salvation, Yeshua. I will trust and not be afraid. There's this declaration of trust. For Yah the Lord, Yah is short for Yahweh, Yah the Lord is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation, Yeshua. We used to sing that frequently in Israel and English 
and in Hebrew, and in Hebrew it's, it's, it's pretty powerful, but I'm not going to do it for you. Praise the Lord. Okay, so chapter 4, again, another Mies Moore, a song written to instrumental music. Here he is running from enemies, hey, in, in chapter 3, and he writes a song. Don't you love David? Man after God's heart. Okay, verse 1, he says, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You've relieved me when I was in distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. So when he starts out saying, hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness, David is not speaking of his righteousness and his righteous works, his good works. He's not talking about those at all. He's praying to God who bestows righteousness on him. You are the God of my righteousness. I have no righteousness outside of you. And if you'll hold your place there and go to Jeremiah 23... I want us to see a, a prophetic scripture here, Jeremiah 23. Going to read verses 5 and 6. <clears throat> Jeremiah 23, 5. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is the name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. It's one of the covenant names of God, the Lord our righteousness. So this is a prophecy of the Messiah's first and second coming. From David's lineage would come the Messiah, the branch of righteousness. And while on earth, Jesus was righteous in all that he said and did. He fulfilled that. And upon his return, the second coming of Jesus, he will reign wisely and execute righteousness and justice in the earth. I'm not speaking of the rapture. I'm speaking of when he comes to set up his kingdom here. At that time, the day of the Lord... Judah will be saved and Israel will be safe. Judah and Israel were separated, as you know, for a long time. The, the kingdom was divided and there was a kingdom in Israel and there was a kingdom of Judah. And so he's speaking of both kingdoms. Judah will be saved. Israel will be safe. And as you know, right now, they're not safe. There are rockets going in even now uh, from Lebanon there are still, there's still exchange of fire between Israel and Gaza. This is not a safe time for Israel. But there is a remnant in Israel that is saved. There are at least 30,000 Jews who believe in Jesus in Israel out of more than 7 million Jewish people. So it's still a remnant. But when he comes back, Judah will be saved and Israel will be safe. And so we look forward to that time. And even now, his name, God the Lord, is called Yahweh Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. And if any of you ever pray through the Lord's Prayer, um, we taught on that a couple of years ago, praying through the Lord's Prayer. And as we bless the name, when we, get, we, we thank the Lord, we hallow His name in the very beginning of the prayer, it's good to name the covenant names of God and recite how Jesus fulfilled them all. 
And so Adonai said, Kenu, Lord said, Kenu, the Lord, our righteousness is the first name that we thank him for because Jesus became righteousness for us. Okay, let's go back to uh, Psalm 4, verse 1. David knew his righteousness was dependent on God who is righteous. And just like him, we have no righteousness of our own. We've made that great exchange where we've given Jesus our sin and he has bestowed on us his righteousness. Because of his suffering, death, and resurrection, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What a blessed people we are, that we've had the opportunity to hear the gospel that the Holy Spirit has quickened our hearts and we've chosen to follow Jesus. We haven't just made him our Savior, we've made him our Lord, and that has secured our salvation in him. The Lordship of Jesus is very important. Okay, again in verse 1, he said, the last part, he says, Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. This phrase, have mercy on me, literally means be gracious to me. Lord, be gracious to me. Have mercy on me. And hear my prayer. The word for prayer, the most common word for prayer in Hebrew is mevakesh is the way you, you say it in the first person, mevakesh. What he's talking about is tefillah. Tefillah is not just simple petitionary prayer. He says, hear my prayer, tefillah, and that means passionate prayer, supplication, and intercession. Tefillah is prayer that won't give up. It's when you're like a dog with a bone and you keep hammering the door of heaven until he answers. It's fervent prayer that pleads with God until the victory comes. Some of you are praying that way for your children, some for your grandchildren, some from other, other loved ones you have. Don't give up. Continue to plead with God because that's what he's saying. You do hear my prayer. You hear, when we just pray simply, you know, it doesn't nearly grab the heart and the attention as when we fervently pray and we put everything into it and we're pleading with the Lord on behalf of someone else or of a situation that needs his intervention. Verse 2, he says, How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness? How long will you turn what is glorious into shame by serving worthless idols is what he's saying because worthless and falsehood are used in the Old Testament to describe idols. When we worship idols, the glory that God has given us as people created in his image becomes a shame for us. And so David is saying, how long will you love worthlessness? How long will you seek falsehood? How long will you worship idols? And then he says in verse 3, But know that the Lord is set apart for himself, him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. The Lord has set apart, sanctified, consecrated for himself those who are godly. I actually, you know, we use the word godly all the time. I thought, what's the difference between godly and Christ-like? So I looked it up, and, and it says devout or pious. The Lord has set apart for himself those who are devout in their worship. When they call to him, the Lord will hear. He says, um, the Lord will hear when I call to him because I'm set apart for him as a godly one. That's what David's saying. 
And we know from 1 John 5.14, he says, this is the confidence that we have in him, that when we ask anything in his name, we know that he hears us. And that's what David is saying. There's a confidence that the godly have that when they pray, the Lord hears them. And then verses 4 and 5, he says, be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. So the first phrase, be angry and do not sin. A better translation of that word anger is the word agitate, to tremble, to uh, tremble with anxiety, maybe with anger, maybe with just agitation. That's more what the phrase means. And he's saying, don't act on your anger or your agitation right away. Um, think about it, pray about it, sleep on it. Some things cannot be resolved immediately. Allow the Lord to speak to you and guide you before you act on what is agitating you. But when your problem is lying next to you in your bed, you need to make sure the sun does not go down on your wrath as we're commanded in Ephesians 4. So don't take this as a marriage verse. This is a general verse. Don't let your agitation cause you to preempt activity and reaction. Rather wait, think, pray. How, how many of you have ever, you've been thinking through something and you cannot get, you can't resolve it. You're not sure what to do. But when you sleep and you wake up, then you know what to do. Our brain does different things as we sleep, and it sort of puts things in different categories. And when we wake up, we kind of know what to do. So, you know, if it's noontime, you don't know what to do, just go ahead and go to bed. <laughs> wake up with the answer. So the Amplified Version expresses Psalm 4-4 like this, Tremble with anger or fear and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Reflect on your sin, not someone else's. Don't reflect on their sin. Reflect on your sin and repent of your rebellion. So that's good counsel too. Make sure we're not going to sleep with sin or rebellion in our hearts. We've repented of that. And then the first part of verse 5 where he says, Offer the sacrifices of righteousness. In Hebrew, the word sacrifice is the word zavach. And it means to slay, slaughter, or sacrifice. It always indicates the offering of a life. You know, in America, in English, uh, we think the word sacrifice means an inconvenience. We sacrifice by driving a little bit further to get cheaper gas. Or we sacrifice a good meal in a restaurant. We rather eat a sandwich at home, and we, we think that's sacrifice. Or when we give a costly gift, that's sacrifice. But in Hebrew, it's always the giving of a life. So a sacrifice of righteousness is choosing to do the right thing when it's not only hard, but it could seriously cost you. It could be dangerous. It could cost your job, a relationship, or even your life, especially if you live where believers are persecuted. You might have read last week the story uh, that happened in India. It was a 16-year-old pastor in India who was holding daily prayer meetings in his house. 
He lives in an area where there are not many believers, and so at the young age of 16, he has arisen as the pastor in that area. And he was holding daily prayer meetings in his home, and he was warned to stop holding them by the men in the area, and he continued the sacrifice of righteousness. And so one day in the market, the men grabbed him and threw acid all over him. They severely burned 85% of his body. He's now in terrible pain. He needs blood transfusions, and he needs a lot of healing. This young man offered a sacrifice of righteousness. So while offering sacrifices of righteousness, David says, trust in the Lord. Put your trust in the Lord. And this young man did that. He's still trusting in the Lord to raise him up and to heal him. So while we offer a sacrifice of righteousness, while we put our trust in the Lord, I want to also just say it's not necessarily to keep us safe from harm. His trust in God did not keep him safe from harm. And ours might not always do that either. But our trust in Him is that we will be steadfast in our faith in spite of harm if it comes. Jesus didn't promise us a life without suffering, pain, or persecution. In fact, Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So no matter what happens to us, we need to keep trusting in the Lord. And then this was posted on the, 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 chosen, the uh, chosen site by a follower. Carla Miller sent it to me just a few days ago. This happened in Afghanistan. It says, we received news that some of the underground church in Kabul, Afghanistan, this, that's how you're supposed to say it, has been martyred. Our friends have been in contact and met together last night in deep prayer. The last word she spoke, now she's talking to a, a, a church member in Afghanistan, and the last words she spoke were, we feel your prayers because this supernatural boldness came over us and we were singing in the spirit. Even the kids said, Mom, we will not deny Jesus. And as they were on the phone, they heard screaming and gunshots. They went to be with the Creator, filled with joy. Their reward is great. And then she went on to say, We will be fasting tomorrow for the churches. Keep praying. May the enemy encounter Jesus and his love so that they may repent. Okay, Psalm 4, verses 6 through 8. There are many who say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. Interesting, there are many who say, Lord, who, who's going to show us any good? People who are looking for good. You know, we all want to look for good. We want people to have mercy on us, to be gracious toward us, to bless us. Who will show us any good? And then he says, my eyes are not on the people. My eyes are on the Lord. Lord, would you lift up the light of your countenance upon us? That means, would you smile on me in favor? Would you have mercy on me? May I see your face? That's what matters to me. Not who around me will show me any good. But Lord, my focus is on you. My hope is in you. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increased. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. You alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. 
So the joy and gladness that God gives us is far more than the happiness that material possessions can give or that good food can give. In Luke 12, 15, Jesus said, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. Lord, smile on me. Look on me in favor. That's where I'll find fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Our hearts aren't drawn after the pleasures of this world. We don't love this world. We're in love with Jesus, and our hearts are drawn toward him. Only the Lord can give us a peaceful mind. Only he can make us dwell in safety. So we put all of our hope in him. We trust in him. Even when we are surrounded by idolaters, God has set us apart for himself and he will hear us when we call to him. In John 16, Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good courage. I have overcome the world. John 14, 27, he says, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. We need to take those words to heart and not fear. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. Keep your hope in God and keep his peace as the bishop of your soul. So here's some, I want to give you time at your tables to share what stood out to you out of these two psalms and to pray for one another. So I'm going to end with uh, just five things I wrote down from Psalm 3 and 4. One, God is a shield around us. He is our glory and the one who lifts up our head. There is nothing else that we glory in. All of our glory is in Him. And we know that He is our protection. He's our refuge. He's our shield. Number two, he hears all of our cries and all of our prayers, especially tefillah, the prayers that we pray with passion, intercession, with um, petition that goes beyond comfort. It's pleading with God for answers. Number three, we can live and even sleep in peace because he sustains us. Four, we can choose faith over fear and we must choose faith over fear, especially now while there's a pandemic of fear around the world. We must choose faith over fear. We will not fear enemies. We won't fear people. We won't fear viruses. We won't fear mandates. We won't fear persecution. We will trust in the Lord. And then lastly, we are to offer sacrifices of righteousness to do the righteous thing even when it's costly. So I'm going to pray quickly, and then I'm going to invite you. What we're going to do is try to be out of here at 940, 942 latest. So that's like seven to nine minutes. So you can share quickly around your table what stood out to you, and then uh, make time to pray for one another or to pray for whatever's on your heart, maybe even some of the things we've already prayed for. Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the power of your word. We ask that it would energize us and it would change us and transform us, that we would be changed by the renewing of our minds as we've soaked in your scriptures today. May we remember what you've said. May we live it, walk in it, and be faithful and obedient to it. In Jesus' name, amen.